For the last couple of weeks, we've been getting Gospels at Mass on Sunday from the Gospel of John. And John is an interesting one in that it's not exactly like the other three that we call the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those kind of go with a little bit more of a typical narrative sort of format where we follow Jesus through his public ministry until we get to the Last Supper, Passion, Death, and Resurrection. And especially with Matthew and Luke, you have, for example, the infancy narratives where we have Jesus' birth. We read a lot from those at Christmas time. John, however, is kind of unique in that you get a lot of discourses from our Lord, a lot of speeches, kind of like we do today. And it's one of those things where I think it's difficult to get a whole lot in at Sunday Mass. I mean, even with the way that the gospel begins today, you know, some Greeks who had come to worship at the Passover feast came to Philip. You know, just all of a sudden, here we are with these Greeks coming out uh, where you don't have the full context of what's going on. I love pointing out the context. And I'll just tell you to look at the you know, overarching structure of the Gospel of John. You can, they call it like in two different books. Chapters 1 to 12, they call the Book of Signs. And chapters 13 to 21, the Book of Glory. And where we are today is the second half of the 12th chapter. So we're right on that hinge in between the first part of the Gospel of John, where you get all of his different signs. For example, chapter 2, you have the wedding feast at Cana. Chapter 4, you have where he encounters the Samaritan woman at the well. You've got chapter 9, where he cures the man born blind. Chapter 11, where he raises Lazarus from the dead. And right after that, we have chapter 12 here. At the beginning of this chapter, and I want to read you the first six verses of the chapter, it says this, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. There they, there they made him a supper. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at table with him. Mary took a pound of costly ointment, a pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the ointment. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii, or 300 days' wages, and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to take what, he, what was put into it. Jesus said, Let her alone. Let her keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Here's the interesting thing is that the chapter kind of moves on. The Pharisees are upset because all kinds of people are coming to see Lazarus, which makes sense. Jesus rose him from the dead. It's a big deal. And so the Pharisees start to plot to kill Lazarus. It's like, look, people are really paying attention to Jesus now. Here's this guy that he rose from the dead. We've got to take care of this problem. And then we have Palm Sunday, basically. Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, fulfilling different prophecies. People are really starting to pay attention. The Greeks, who have come for Passover, see all of this attention, come to Philip and say, we want to see Jesus. And I think that's an interesting place to get to here, like seeing that context, why do they want to see him? Well, everybody's kind of going to see him. But I think it's important to have that context, especially with Judas. And why do I bring up Judas? Well, we're only two weeks from Easter Sunday, right? I mean, two weeks from right now, 
actually, by the way, just going to tell you the announcement, we'll be outside because Easter Sunday, we all know, is crazy. There's going to be a lot of people here. There won't be many seats. Outside, there will be. So pray that the weather's nice. Anyway, so everybody will be together, but it's crazy. We're that close to Easter now, right? And when you think about Judas, who has been with Jesus for a long time, right? He's there through the public ministry, through those three years of Jesus being out there. Here's Jesus having his feet anointed. He's saying, she's preparing me for my burial. And what does he say? This could have been sold for 300 days wages. And think about what's going to happen in just over a week. Judas is going to sell Jesus out, not for 300 days wages, but for 30 pieces of silver. How incredible it is that he thinks that that ointment that Mary anointed Jesus' feet with is more valuable than Jesus himself. Now here's the scary thing. I think any time we look at Judas, because it's like you almost want to say, like, well, maybe he had this in mind or this. Ultimately, I think the terrifying thing about Judas is, what if he did it for the money? And I say it's terrifying because it's possible for any of us to be the same way. What is it that I'm willing to sell him out for? You remember a couple weeks ago, we reflected a little bit on that scene from the Gospel of Mark with the rich young man, running up and saying, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Follow the commandments I have since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, go sell what you have, give to the poor, come follow me. And the guy goes away sad because he had great possessions. Two different guys spending time with Jesus, literally being looked at by him, loved by him, and they choose the money. And the reason I bring that up today is because it's a terrifying reality that we can do the same thing. That beautiful first reading today from Jeremiah, it's from a part of Jeremiah called the Book of Consolations, because most of Jeremiah is pretty terrifying. Most of it is you're turning your back on God, and and basically it's they're going into exile. They are in exile. They've, They've walked away from God, and he's saying, look, he's going to write his law on your hearts. He wants you to be in love with him. He wants you to not only like see the Ten Commandments out there as stone tablets, but that you love him so much that everything he's given you is there in your heart. And as we see in the gospel today, you know, as they come, they want to see him, and Jesus immediately goes into, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What is that glorification? He's laying down his life for us on the cross. He has shown us how much he loves us, shown us the fact that that love cannot be overcome by sin and death, that ultimately that love will rise from the dead. The only thing that can stand in the way is our own personal choice. He doesn't force his way into our hearts. As St. Augustine said, he created you without you, but he won't save you without you. He doesn't force his way in, and we see that with terrifying clarity when it comes to Judas. Yes, he was with him for all that time, but the money clouds his vision. And the trouble is there's so many things that can cloud our vision as well. And it's like you just think of a small example, like, okay, you go on vacation, there's a lot going on. It's like, well, I know we could go to Mass, but I'd rather sleep in, you know? It's like, I know I probably shouldn't be filling my mind with this junk that I'm watching on TV, but it's hard to turn the channel. 
You know, I know I shouldn't be doing this, that, or the other. And that's what I mean by the terrifying thing is that, look, Judas did this for 30 pieces of silver. What is it that's the temptation for us as a 30 pieces of silver? And the beautiful thing about this time of year is what we have every day at every Mass is the entirety of the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's why I don't wear a watch at Mass. It's like we're stepping outside of time. We're going to the Last Supper. We're going to Calvary. We're going to the resurrection and receiving Jesus in the Eucharist. He is with us just like he was there for Judas, just like he was there for the rich young man. But the question is, will we open up our hearts like our Blessed Mother does? Will we open up our hearts like Mary Magdalene? Will we open them up like St. John? Or will we choose something lesser? And I say that as much to myself as everybody else because the reality is, when you think about it, the abuse scandal in the church, right? How many priests stood at the altar every single day and then did terrible things? It's the terrifying reality of the fact that he can look at us and love us And we can still turn away. And what I would say today, as we continue on closer and closer to the highest feast of the entire year, the feast of our salvation, the feast of the one who loved us enough to die for us, who learned obedience, not by studying a book, but by what he suffered. He entered into this with us. He went all the way to the cross. He is that grain of wheat who goes down and dies and look at all the fruit. The fact of the matter is we're here now participating in it, receiving it, but the danger is is that it can remain outside. We can be like the crowds that impress the Greeks, that, hey, they're looking at him, look at who this is, we want to see Jesus. But the problem is, that's Palm Sunday. A few days later on Good Friday, the same crowds that are calling out, Hosanna in the highest, are the same crowds yelling out, crucify him. And that's where we have to make sure. We don't just sort of ride along in our faith like a lazy river. Because it's so easy for us as the crowds to suddenly change our minds, to shift away. When ultimately, yes, we need to be together. We're part of the body of Christ. But the terrifying reality is, if we don't let him in. If we don't make the decision every single day to embrace him, to spend time with him, to love him and receive his love for us, the danger is we can be like Judas too. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we are blessed to have God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. He looks at us. He loves us. As we move towards the highest holy days of the year, Let's pray for that grace that we look back and love him in all that we say and do. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever.